The following podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. Pokecasters Network, supporting Pokemon content creators, their shows, and the community of Pokemon fans. To find out more, check out pokecastersnetwork.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Welcome to the Pokepress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. In this episode, Anne from PKE Podcast drops by to discuss the music of Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, Explorers of Time, Darkness, and Sky. This second set of games from the beloved side series features another boatload of tunes, which we try our best to cover, even if we couldn't possibly get to every song we wanted. That said, we do make sure to talk about the game's characters and story, which you'll hear about in the game discussion after the outro. Thanks. Hi folks, Steven here. I'm on the phone with Anne from Piggy Podcast. And in our continuing series of Pokemon side game music discussions, we've come to the second, I guess you could call it set, of Pokemon Mystery Dungeon games, Explorers of Time, Explorers of Darkness, and Explorers of Sky. Not unlike... Uh, <laughs> Other sets of games from that era for the, like the mainline series, they decided to go all the way out and have two versions and then a third version with this second round of Mystery Dungeon games. And uh, we're very, very excited to talk about the music because there's a lot of great material and we'll unfortunately only be able to get to a kind of a fraction of it. But um, like the first set of Mystery Dungeon games that we discussed back in 2021, this was produced by uh, Tunesoft or Spike Tunesoft, as you may know them. Um, as far as the release, these are fourth-generation games. So in Japan, Time and Darkness, which were the, the first two to get released, were released in September of 2007. Let's see, North America was April of 2008, Australia was June of 2008, and then Europe was July of 2008. And like we said, this sort of got the, I guess you could say, the platinum treatment. Uh, because there's actually a third version of this one, Explorers of Sky. That was released in 2009, regardless of where you were. In Japan, it came out in April. North America was October. And uh, Australia and Europe, different, different weeks, but both in November of 2009 is when Sky came out. And just a quick little public service announcement about this game. Um, when we're recording this, the uh, Explorers of Sky game is available on the Wii U eShop, if you want to pick it up that way. It's considerably cheaper than trying to get a used copy of it. Um, however, over the course of uh, 2022, the Wii U eShop is going to become progressively more difficult to buy things on, along with the 3DS eShop. So definitely recommend that you try to get these any way you can. All right, well... Let's see. As far as the first experience with these games, I, I had known the uh, first two games, which were uh, Red Rescue Team and Blue Rescue Team, had been fairly successful and had definitely resonated with fans. They were, at that point, um, forget exactly the sales numbers. It depends how you break stuff down and whether you count the two games together or, in this case, the three games together, how well. But they, they both sets of games sold uh, on the order of what, like, the original Pokemon Stadium on N64 did, uh, which was, at, at the time of that, you know, the highest-selling Pokemon side games, and these matched or beat it. So very, very popular there. 
And I was very excited to pick these games up. And I, I, it seems you had a somewhat different experience with this game because actually you did play like the original Red Blue Rescue Team, one of those at least, but you have yet to uh, give the later ones a shot. Uh, not to say you aren't a true Pokemon fan, but what's kind of the deal there? <laughs> Well, it, we all know my heart is with the anime. <laughs> um, I'm not a gamer. Yeah, no, I've just never played this one. I did enjoy the first Mystery Dungeon, but I've just not gotten around to it. So I've been experiencing uh, this one on Let's Play in preparation for this discussion. And now I regret all my life choices because I am in love with your partner, Pokemon. In my Let's Player had a Vulpix, and I feel like I must protect it with everything I have. So I will be playing this game um, someday, soon, I hope. But um, unfortunately, I have not actually played it as of yet. Yeah, and I guess I should say, I picked up one of those. I, I think it was time, but it might have been Darkness. I'm not entirely sure there. In any case, uh, I didn't really have an intention to pick up the third version, Sky, until I found out it had a jukebox feature called the Sky Jukebox that you unlock through, uh, later in the game. And uh, this was back, of course, when I was running PIRN and having a built-in sound test that I could use to sort of extract the music and get it on the station more easily was a, a big help there. So that's kind of the main reason. There's also some other bonus content with uh, Explorers of Sky. They added a fair bit uh, of value there and also tweaked a few other things uh, with the game. All right, well, as far as the musicians that were involved with this game... It has some of the folks from the original uh, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Red and Blue Rescue team. Uh, notably, it has Arata Iyoshi, who worked on Beatmania, Ninjala, and also has some solo work. It seems he's more of a, a contract worker. And then there's about five different new folks that we have on there. Let's see. Uh, since there's so many of them, some of them are credited as like sound design or sound direction, and some of them are listed as composers, and the credits actually vary slightly between the first two games, Time and Darkness, and the third game, Sky, has slightly different credits, even though the same names are listed. Let's see. Let's go over a couple of them. Uh, Hideki Sakamoto I have down as being uh, someone who's worked on the Yakuza series, Attack of the Friday Monsters. And also, I guess, worked on the song Life Flight, which is one of the major themes of Smash Ultimate. Anna, do you have anything uh, on that particular person? Um, not a ton on him. I, I do have some on some of the other names on this list, though. All right, well, let's go on to uh, Kaisuke Ito. Hopefully, I, I'm never sure about these Japanese names. I think I've gotten better with time, but Kaisuke, yeah. uh, he, worked on, he worked on Yakuza 3. Let's see, Bloodstained, Ritual of the Night, and also worked on Smash Brothers on uh, the theme for Galim and Darkor, or Darkon, I'm sorry about that, which are two of the major bosses of the story mode in Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. So that's pretty big there. I, I don't know if, Anna, you had anything to say on that particular one. Yeah, I've got um, an article here that kind of breaks down the credits a bit. Um, it is, like... I'm not entirely sure how verified this information is, but I do kind of have some suggestions that uh, Keisuke Ito has been doing a lot uh, more of the arranging than the composing. Um, so that might be where he was in his career at this point in time anyway. And then we have Kenichi uh, Saito, who has worked on a couple Sonic games, including Sonic Unleashed, Mad World, and Devil's Third. 
I, I, one thing I'm noticing here is that actually that a lot of these folks do have credits on some uh, games targeted at a much older age range than uh, the Pokemon franchise. I can definitely say that about Mad World and Devil's Third, that's for sure. Um, anything on that particular one? Yeah, he, he just does seems to do a lot of video game stuff. Um, we've talked a bit about Arate Yoshi's kind of does a lot of freelance work. I, I can't find like a particular agency that he that uh, Kenichi Saito is listed with. So he may also be doing a lot of freelance gaming work, too. All right. Uh, Ryoma Nakamura. Uh, let's see. I found a couple interesting credits here uh fail fury wild ambition and zero escape i don't know and did you have uh first of all thanks to you for looking up so many of these that we had i mean with such a huge soundtrack it's not entirely surprising that we have so many names to go over <laughs> it's not quite the same story as say like the pokemon stadium games where they went through a couple of iterations but i do appreciate all the research you do on on this and other parts of our discussions no worry. Yeah, and like um, the interesting thing about Ryoma Nakamura is that it appears that he kind of changed jobs between uh, Time and Darkness and Explorers of Sky. It looks like he started out kind of with the composing arranging team, but then moved into sound director for or the sound director team rather for um, Explorers of Sky. So um, congratulations on your promotion, I guess. But that's cool. Yeah, like I said, the credits are a little bit different between the versions of the game. I had to do a little digging to find the credit sequence, which is very similar, but lists the names a little bit differently for Time and Darkness. Let's see. Next one you got is uh, Misaki Okibe. Um, not sure exactly, but uh, it looks like they're listed under the uh, original Persona back in the 90s and something called Billion Road, among other credits. Uh and did you, what did you find on your end? Um, I'm not entirely sure. It's kind of another situation where I might, we might be like converging to people with this, these names. But if I am correct, I think this might be the only woman on the team. Um, but yeah, now she has a lot of uh, credits for as directors, as composers, editorial department, for a lot of different games. Um, Fossil Fighters Frontier, I've never heard of that one, but um, Shin Megami Tensai Persona, like I've, I've never played it, but I've heard of that one. So yeah, no, she's got a pretty good career going, it looks like. Yeah, Fossil Fighters is sort of, you, you, you've, you've heard the term Pokemon clone. It's kind of like Nintendo's own attempt at a Pokemon clone. It's got some, like it uses some of like the touchscreen and microphone mechanics of the DS, if I remember correctly. That's what that one is. I think I remember seeing that on the list. And then we've got one more name that, um, speaking of conflating uh, different different folks there, let's see. <laughs> Yoshihiro Maeda? I'm not sure exactly. Unfortunately, there is someone by that name who's pretty famous, but it's probably not the person we're looking for. And did you have any more luck uh, figuring this one out? <laughs> I unfortunately could not find a ton uh, amongst the MMA fan community where there is also a Yoshihiro Maeda who is, is crushing it, apparently. The most I can find on him is that he is only working on uh, Pokemon Sky. Like, he was not working on Explorers of Time and Darkness, but contributed to tracks for Explorers of Sky. So 
that's the best I can do for now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, it was a pretty deep hole we had to dig through. To <laughs> yeah, and I appreciate that. Yeah, there is a, a fair amount of new music for some of the bonus content in Explorers of Sky, both some of the post-game content and also the chapters that are added uh, that explain some of the side characters and their backstories. And there is some new music there. So presumably that they may have had some of the same people working in there, but it's possible they did bring in someone else with that. All right, well, that is an absolute boatload of folks that uh, it, it took to put together the soundtrack on this game. Um, but as far as, like, the overall style, first of all, we should probably mention that, you know, Red and Blue Rescue Team was a cross-platform game of sorts. They're both Nintendo systems, but there was one version red for the Game Boy Advance and blue for the Nintendo DS. This time, all three games are strictly Nintendo DS games, and... You know, that may have made things a little bit easier. I'm not entirely sure since they didn't have to worry about porting the tunes back and forth between the different types of hardware. That may have proved beneficial or at least made things easier. The other thing, like, they're called Time and Darkness and Sky, but I think time is sort of the lead factor here because the the plot of the, the games, which we will... Spoiled to some degree at various portions throughout the discussion. There's not really a way around that. But uh, being a time travel-based game, it's not surprising. There are a lot of clock sounds in various tracks, and we'll be definitely pointing some of that out. I assume, Anne, that was something you noticed in the soundtrack as well. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of... Well, it, it kind of a mixed bag, but yeah, like a lot of mechanical-like, very almost synth meets steampunk kind of sounds and then of course especially makes sense for sky like a lot of almost celtic like sounds or um, medieval melody type folk music rendered through very synthetic keyboard sounds with like the the vox synth voices underneath to kind of add a flying or floating type feel so like it's a very different soundtrack in a way that i really quite appreciate yeah, so definitely some interesting stuff there. Of course, uh, you know, there is still a pretty good variety in here just because, of course, the uh, the different dungeons in the game cover a lot of different environment types. All the stuff you'd usually expect, mountains, valleys, uh, forests, rivers, all that type of stuff is in there. So as a result, you do still get a pretty good variety. But a lot of the more plot-focused music, which happens to be what we've picked out for the most part, um, definitely uses a lot of time and clock metaphors all right well we've done what we usually do here we've each picked out three songs which yes admittedly in a soundtrack such as this much like the problem we had with the uh red and blue rescue team mystery Dungeon games is kind of an inadequate number but we don't want to be here all night uh on this one <laughs> Um, we will mention some of the tracks we are not going to be able to do a full discussion on later because there is a ton of material, ton of stuff we could have picked. Feel free to share uh, some of your favorites and maybe we'll pick one or two after we've gotten through ours to at least briefly discuss. I picked, let's see, On the Beach at Dusk, Amp Plains, and Time Gear, which is, there's kind of like two versions of it in there. So there's like a remix version, which is what you actually hear first. And then just a time gear. And we'll sort of talk about those as sort of one track there. And what were the three you picked? 
I picked, um, I saw something again, Planet Paralysis, and It's Not a Miracle. Yeah, so I guess I did want to kind of note, It's Not a Miracle is actually one of the songs from, I keep wanting to call it DLC, but no, you paid full retail price for Explorers of Sky if you bought it originally uh, to get the additional content there, but it is part of the additional content in Explorers of Sky. We've arranged these in sort of chronological order. There's a little bit of uh, fuzziness in there, and uh, we won't be going quite through the usual back and forth like we usually try to, but um, we're going to start with one of my songs, which is On the Beach at Dusk. So this plays, as you can probably guess, pretty early in the game. It's when your uh, partner Pokemon finds you awashed on the shore of, you know, wherever this game kind of takes place. Um, and it's this song that plays there as the sun is setting. And, uh, you know, it, it really does kind of strike you uh, as soon as you hear it. It's one of the first really, truly original songs that you hear in the game. As far as, like, the instrument stuff, it's got, uh, uh, I think it's supposed to be a harp. These are all synth instruments on the DS, so it's a little hard to tell sometimes. Um, but it's also got some strings and horns and stuff in there. Um what kind of struck you, Anne, about this when you heard it? Yeah, so it's very soothing, um, very evocative of the bubbles that are being blown by, like, think of the Krabby or something. But what I love about this track is about, like, 20 or so seconds in, like, a woodwind or a horn um, comes in on the melody. And, like, it just adds a different dimension to the track. And it kind of feels like it keeps growing and evolving over time. And so I really liked that aspect to it. Yeah, sort of the one-word description I put down was uh, contemplative or contemplative or however that's pronounced because it does sort of make you think a little bit as the sun is setting and stuff like that. And isn't this something kind of unusual or strange or interesting that's happened? It sort of fits both with, you know, your character washing up on shore and also what your your soon-to-be partner character is going through. They're trying to work up the courage to apply at the uh, the guild over on the hill there to become part of a, uh, I don't know if it's technically called a rescue team, but you kind of get the idea. I also wanted to say that there was a bit of a uh, floating or title quality to it, which makes sense based on the setting, but also, you know, there we talked about the bubbles the Krabby are blowing. Bubbles can, you know, if there's a sufficient amount of uh, wind and stuff, can sort of bob up and down as they float across. And is that something you noticed as well? Yeah, like the synth keyboard choices they made for kind of the underlying undulating, not exactly bass, but the, I don't know, atmospheric synth or what they were using, just very much sound like kind of brought to mind the sense of like bubbles floating and bobbing and like, I don't know, I just thought it was very well done. It fit fit what was happening on screen. And then I forget how far into it, but the Mystery Dungeon theme, you know, the theme of the sub-series, does show up again in this game a number of times, and it shows up in this track, which kind of, I guess just kind of lets you know that, yes, this is a Mystery Dungeon game, just musically, although I think there is some of that in like the intro sequence and whatnot. I assume you noticed that as well, Anne. Mm-hmm. Overall, I think this does a pretty good job of setting up the the start of the game story. And I assume you have a, a fairly similar opinion there, despite having not really played through the game yourself and just kind of watched it. Yeah, I love that the Mystery Dungeon series kind of has the confidence to, like, come in on a kind of cooler, 
as you say, contemplative track without like feeling like it has to go hard, like da 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 da, we're a video game. Like, I don't know, like there's just something um kind of very refreshing about this series that it has just a very different tone, different themes sometimes, um, a different pace of of gameplay. And I think the music really supports that, and I like that a lot. All right, well, let's move on to, I think this is maybe the only dungeon theme that either of us picked, which is kind of a shame because there's a lot of great dungeon themes. Um, And I wish we could go over more of them, but uh, the one I picked is Amp Plains, A-M-P, and it's obviously an electric dungeon. In other words, there are a lot of lightning or electric Pokemon uh, running about in there, along with a few other types, of course. Um, as far as the music that goes with that uh, dungeon, uh, very synth-based, very electronic. Um, e- even for a, you know a sample-based thing like the DS, you can definitely tell that that was what they were going for. One thing that really caught me about it was sort of the bass line that goes through like the first section of the of the tune. There, I think, really gives it a very obviously a very strong beat. Uh, but um, that's one thing that made it stick out to me. And what were your kind of thoughts on this track? My main thought was that this track sounds like a Mario game, like completely. I, <laughs> um, I definitely feel like the electric vibe they're going for, like the instrumentation is like, again, just kind of slightly more skewed towards kind of this kind of more futuristic, funky, uh, like electronic sound feel. But it sounds like a Mario game to me. And I'm kind of surprised that as we went through that long list of uh, composers and arrangers that we didn't find a ton of people who worked prominently on Mario because it feels like they're really pulling from that well. Well, I did compare it to a Nintendo game, but it definitely was not a Mario game. The one I actually came up with as a comparison point is a game called Galactic Pinball which is a game, and you're probably not familiar with this one because it's a virtual boy game, first of all. But I can see pinball in this in this soundscape. That makes sense. Yeah, so, so Galactic Pinball is the name, or Space Pinball as it's known, I think, in Japan, was a, well, there really were only early virtual boy games, so that system crashed and burned after less than a year, really. But this is obviously a pinball game themed around space, with a couple different tables, and uh, like the, it's hard to kind of characterize the Virtual Boy sound uh, hardware. It's almost kind of like like a, a doubled set of Game Boys type stuff, very advanced but still very chip tuny. And I feel like this particular song reminds me a lot of that, and that is probably part of the reason I like it. I, I mean, I do think it is very well composed. Like I said, I, I like some of the the instruments they do there. There's also a some nice drum work in there as well. Um, so that was one thing that made me pick this out of, you know, several dozen probably dungeon themes. Um, there's also most of the dungeons that are long enough have a second segment that has a slightly different version to some degree or another. And there's something called like the Far Amp Planes track that also uses some of the same stuff, but also is kind of its own thing with this. So definitely wanted to mention this one. It may not be officially tied to the movie, but Wonderful sure sounds like it belongs in Secrets of the Jungle. First, the song appears to be from the perspective of someone who's met somebody they didn't expect, but learned to love. That sounds familiar. Beyond that, nearly every line in the song, whether it's about eggs, hard truths, or mixed feelings, 
seems to have some sort of parallel to the film. Also, there's that lyric video with Sin and her young child. Definitely a similarity there. In any event, do you think these two works are connected? Be sure to let us know. Thanks. All right, well, let's go on to Anne's first pick. This is uh, definitely more of a story-focused track. I saw something again. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about this and how it how it gets used in the game? Yeah, so... Um... Going off my faulty memory, I believe that this track uh, is kind of used when you're meeting an, an explorer named Dusk Noir who talks about like seeing through time and a dimensional scream and like a, a character like sort of blacks out and comes to or like it starts feeling dizzy. So a lot of weird is happening. But what I love about this track is that it's kind of very horror movie evocative of um it's kind of got a lot of haunted doll vibes to it it's it's very delicate synth bells under some very minor chords and some chords that don't really seem to be going together the way they should it's just like all slightly off but very pretty um so again it's just kind of like uh, definitely used in the game to show that things are not quite right and things are not what you think they are and you you need to be on your guard. <laughs> yeah, sort of the one word description I have for this is disorienting. Uh, the dimensional scream, I guess, is sort of a ability that your character has that when certain things happen, they will get a sensation and a brief like snippet of like the future or something like that that gives them sort of an alternate perspective on what's going on. In the scene there, I think the first time you see it is when you encounter a drowsy or something like that. Um, and yeah, like I said, disorienting. There's also it seems to be a, a winding noise. We had mentioned that there's some sort of like clock-like sounds in there, and this one has a a winding noise that uh, that goes through it. I think Anne, I, or I assume Anne, that you uh, noticed that as well. Yeah, you know, this is kind of another one of those tracks that just kind of has like mechanical like sounds like if not actual sound effects but like sounds that kind of suggest turning or like it sounds like one of those like snakes that you um pull the the wooden the wooden stick across to kind of make a thing yeah like so again just very interesting choices of instrumentation that are very effective yeah, I forget what type. It's some sort of percussion thing, and I forget exactly what like the the instrument or technical name for it is. But I know exactly what you're talking about. Also, as as a lot of the sort of time based tracks here, there's some chimes and some bells in there, so that sort of completes the sort of uh, picture that we have in our mind, I guess you could say. So it sort of uh, completes the package is sort of the best phrase I can come up with uh, right now for that. But it's, it does fit how it's kind of used there. All right, well, let's talk about another one of my tracks. This is called Time Gear. Now, there's kind of a couple different versions of it. There's the, the first time you hear it is actually called the Time Gear Remix. And then there's also another track in the sound test, the Sky Jukebox, called uh, just Time Gear that actually shows up later in there. So that's kind of a little odd that you would hear them in that order. But one thing I, I kind of noticed about it um, number of structural things, like it seems to be in 3, 4, or 6, 8 time. 
which you know I think is probably not that uncommon for when you want to give a sense of time in the piece. I mean, obviously meter is very important in pretty much all music. Um, but in this particular case, it seems like when you really want to emphasize the passage of time or something like that, I don't know if this is really a thing, but it just seems to me like you use a lot of three, four time and stuff like that. Like as as far as the instrumentation, it uses bells and a, uh, sort of a clock chime. It's not the um, you may remember back when we talked about some of the uh, GameCube games like uh, XD and uh, Colosseum and stuff like that. We had mentioned that one of the areas, I think it's in, in uh, Gale of Darkness XD, uses the a variation of the Winchester chimes. That's not quite what this is. It's either some other thing or it's a rearranged version or stuff. But, Anne, I, I assume you kind of noticed that, that particular detail of it. Yeah, and it's like... Three four time is very like it's a waltz rhythm, and so there's something about it that just feels very circular in a way that's you know just slightly different from like four four time or or other time signatures that you could use. So it kind of just definitely feels like things are revolving, um, which works very well with the the chimes in there. So you're yeah very onto something there. I also really love like. All of these tracks make use of synth voices, but this one, they kind of stood out to me a little bit and like just kind of added a mysterious undercurrent to what is a very playful melody, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, some choir there and some, I put down the words back and forth, which I think is is very common to kind of a lot of the uh, plot-based music in this game. Um, But I kind of wanted to mention... um, Sort of the the function without getting too deep into it is the time gears sort of keep the flow of time regular in various areas of the world, and when you first hear it, uh, it doesn't have much of a a real melody to it. And then when you hear the version later in the game, there is more of a melody to it, and I think that gives a a little bit of a feeling of like time is starting or getting back on track again, which I think is something that will come up to in some of the other tracks that we've picked here but a very important track it's kind of hard to do justice to it with words but uh, certainly to give it our best shot there all right and let's go to your second pick which is uh the planet's paralysis which is like we said we mostly ended up picking up story-based tracks here rather than dungeon tracks not that the dungeon tracks are bad but a lot of the story-based tracks are very memorable why don't you talk a little bit about this one yeah, this is memorable is the word for it. Uh, the Planet's Paralysis comes in hard. It's like the lowest track in terms of like bass and lower frequencies. It's just comes in with low chords. It, there's drums. The synth breath noises. This is another place where the use of, of synth voice stands out because it like it, you can very much hear someone taking breaths and like, Again, using human voice as part of the soundscape, I think, is a very cool choice. Um, like, But yeah, this track uh, just kind of conveys a very different mood than many of the other tracks because it, as terms of story, like, this is where stuff is getting real. Like, Dialga's here, the temporal tower is, like, um, like they're going to the top of it. Like, like just everything is happening. This is kind of the not the climax i guess but around it um yeah it's just a very powerful track and um again still feels like it fits the um orchestration and the mood of the rest of the 
the rest of the soundtrack, but it's so very different. And that's, that's cool to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spoiler alert for a um, story involving time travel. Uh, Dialga is involved in the story. Um, and actually, so is Celebi. We'll talk more about that in our game discussion in the uh, sort of the post segment. But uh, as far as the song, I noticed immediately the low droning sound that comes right in the beginning. And then you have building instruments as well as like heavy drums. Um, so it definitely gives somewhat of a, an oppressive feel. I, I think this this one might come in a couple places. I forget if when uh, one of the characters is describing sort of the dystopian future that exists there and sort of this is part of it. I forget exactly when this all plays in, but it definitely fits sort of that future you're trying to fix and improve and stuff like that. All right, and uh, we're going to go straight to your third pick, It's Not a Miracle. Now, just to point out, uh, we had mentioned that the third version in this series, Explorers of Sky, had some bonus content. First of all, there are some bonus post-game content centered around Shaman, but there's also these five or so stories that you unlock throughout the course of the game that go into some of the other characters in it. And uh, the very last one you unlock uh, involves Grovile and Dustnor going through sort of the um, some of the effects of what you did uh, during the main story of the game uh, in the future. Uh, and one of the tracks that plays there towards the end of that is called It's Not a Miracle. And why don't you tell us a little bit about this one? Yeah, so... Um... I picked this because I liked the sound. This is one of the ones where, like, because I haven't played the game, I'm not entirely sure um, what is happening in the scene under which it plays. But this track has such a sad tension to it. And I want to believe this game, like, has happy endings, but it's Mystery Dungeon series, so I, I know it has the power to break my heart. And this track, like, makes me feel like I want to cry, or like it has the power that it could make me cry very easily. It feels like saying goodbye to a friend. So hearing that um, Grovile and Dust Noir are going through, like, your personal effects after you've theoretically uh, gone, um, that sounds very sad. Um, but it's soft and it's delicate and it's slow. Again, there's synth voices underneath this um, beautiful melody to make it just a little bit haunting. Um, it's just a very nice track. Yeah, yeah, definitely. This this plays, like I said, towards the end of that arc. Uh, Anne's characterization, I will tell you, you were a little bit off in terms of what's going on in there. And I don't want to totally spoil it since we're we're not doing the... We will talk more about the story in our post-game discussion. I do want to play this someday, so like this is good to know. <laughs> there, There is a little bit of a relief, uh, I believe, aspect to this song, if I'm remembering correctly, how it is used in that epilogue chapter there. But uh, So I, I'm not sure I want to divulge all the details, especially since I'm not 100% sure I have them all quite right. But it is, I mean... I would never say the, the music in this game is under-emotionalized or whatever you want to call it there. I don't even know if that's a word, but moving to tears, uh, there's a lot of music in this game that has that effect on folks. So that ties into the story, but the, the music, I think, also fits that extraordinarily well. A uh, variety of emotions, really, throughout it. All right, well, that was just sort of a small sampling of the tracks. There's so much more stuff that if we had 
more time and weren't trying to also uh, sort of squeeze in a game discussion as a bonus segment that we'd love to go over. Just a few of the tracks I kind of wanted to shout out to. But six tracks, it doesn't really do this justice. I mean, there's a ton of other stuff we could have gone over. We had mentioned that Dialga is kind of the, it's the end boss of the main story, at least. So uh, the final battle theme, Dialga's fight to the finish, is uh, another great one. Um, i trying to think of, there's, there's a fair number of good dungeon themes, which I guess we haven't done too many of them here but there's also stuff like um defend globe which is part of uh, one of the the explorers of sky bonus chapters deals with the origin story of uh guildmaster wigglytuff when when he was a child and uh there's a great theme there there's also a group of three pokemon called team charm and they have a theme in there like I'm trying to think uh, of titles at the moment. For some reason, some of them escape me. But there's so much music, uh, so many songs we could cover, and it, it kind of shows in just the number of folks that they brought on to do this. That it takes that many people to produce a soundtrack that's this expansive. But um, yeah, certainly a lot of stuff in there. If you ever get a chance to listen to it, like I said, I, I strongly recommend it. If for some reason you haven't uh, haven't done so yet, but. Um, there are a fair number of sound effects and other stuff. I think those might be a little bit better, but they're still pretty similar to what you got in the previous game uh, in Red and Blue Rescue Team. So why don't we sort of give our overall impression? I sort of sort of tipped my hand a little bit just back there, you know, with, with just listening out all those tracks. They're obviously a lot of great stuff. We had mentioned, like I said, a lot of the sort of clock mechanics, the clock winding noises and bells and stuff like that. I did kind of want to compare it to other like time travel based games, uh, of which there are a number of good ones, also some not so great ones. But uh, one very good one, uh, at least in my opinion, and a lot of other folks, is a Super Nintendo game called Chrono Trigger. Um, and some of the music in this game, it definitely has its own identity, but there were definitely parts that seemed kind of musically like they didn't seem like they were lost tracks. It's kind of hard to describe in words. Um, but there's some, ones that gave me very similar vibes and feelings, even though the melodies were original and stuff like that. And I don't know how much experience you have with Chrono Trigger, but um, and it's music. But Not I was much with Chrono Trigger, but like I've heard some of it, but not super. Like I've never played it, but like that is an extremely popular game. Like I have, I have encountered music or cosplay and things like that from it. So. Yeah, not entirely surprising, and I'm sure the Japanese folks uh, who worked on the music for this game, a lot of them are familiar with that game. It's a very popular game. It's a, a very well-run game, both for its gameplay and for its story and for its music. Like, if I had to put this thing closer, like, it's not certainly, like, if we go to other sort of fictional stories around time travel, gaming and otherwise, I don't know that it comes as close to, say, something like, uh, Ocarina of Time or Back to the Future or stuff like that, other time travel based, you know, uh, games or franchises or stuff like that, I think. But it is still sort of its own thing. It also stays true, I think, to the mystery, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon in particular, uh, vernacular, but it does seem to have some similarities there. And any other sort of thoughts overall? I'm sure, like, just like, you know, most folks, you're absolutely a fan of the soundtrack of this, but any any other thoughts of your own? Um, like, just that it feels like there's something very unique and purposeful 
to this game. Like, I guess purposeful is probably the best word to use because there's a lot of stuff that evokes clocks and and mechanics and that kind of tie into the time travel there's a lot of stuff that evokes wind and sky and like they never lose those two themes even when you're in an electric uh dungeon or underground in a cave on the beach um so i i very much like the deliberate efforts of this uh, music soundtrack to not only create a cohesive whole, but also like to really evoke the variety of the spe- specific things that are happening in in the moment. Yeah, it, there's a, you can go pretty deep with, with this game like that. They definitely knew what they were doing, what they wanted to do with it, and were able to sort of translate that over to the, the sound design and music and stuff like that. So definitely a very good tying i guess you could say of all those things together well like i said we could only get to so many songs in here there's a lot more we could have picked so if you have any that you want us to sort of bring up uh, you can always give us a comment uh pokepress at gmail.com or you can try and find us on twitter uh, or you can leave a comment on one of these videos and we will try to get that into a future discussion in the meantime i do have one comment here that i want to get in here so, uh, the weekend before we recorded this, I had an opportunity to go to something called the Midwest Gaming Classic. This is an annual, when we don't have major world disruptions, convention that takes place in the Milwaukee area pretty much every year. Like I said, when we don't have major disruptions. But I went to it last weekend, and um, I wasn't there as press, but I decided I would do a bit of a recap stream afterwards to talking about my time there. I have this comment from Nathan Rabe. I'm not sure exactly if I got that last name right. Sorry if I did. didn't. But uh, nice recap. I was there and experienced a lot of the same things you did. It was great to meet David Wise and my favorite YouTube personalities. For those not aware, David Wise is a longtime video game musician who's been working in that industry since the 1980s. Best known for his work over at Rare uh, in the 80s and 90s, including on several of the Donkey Kong Country games. He was brought back for the Tropical Freeze game to work on music for that. ton of other credits to his name, and it was neat to see him there. Uh, my response was, thanks. Glad I finally have an opportunity to do these again. What I wanted to bring this in for was not so much to talk about the convention itself, but sort of the fact that we're here in 2022 after a couple of years of off and on and mostly off. Um, we're finally sort of getting into the swing of being able to go back to events like these. And I'm looking forward to later this year going to a couple of Pokemon tournaments. Anne, has has your situation been, uh, I guess you could say, clearing up? Now, of course, by the time this makes it on the podcast, feed, hopefully things are still on on that track but uh what how have things been sort of uh settling back on your end i guess is the best way i can put it yeah there's definitely been a lot of less events um it is definitely starting to open up again um some of the ones that i usually go to have been canceled like there's a cute little convention called fancon that like keeps trying to go and then <laughs> goes away we'll see how this year goes um bonsai kind of fell through last year. Again, we'll see how it goes this year. Um, but uh, Fanex, I think, is still going strong. So that was the last one I went to last year. And hopefully as um, the situation keeps improving over here in northern Utah, like that one will be able to also go this year. And 
be a nice, bigger, better show, and we'll all get to have fun together again. Yeah, you know, winters may still be tough for the next year or two, but, uh, I mean, like, after all, back when I went to Enemy Milwaukee back in February, they had a pretty strict mask mandate. That's why, if you listen to that episode, our voices sound a little bit muffled through most of it. Um, This one was a little bit less restrictive, but, yeah, it does seem like things are getting back online, I guess you could say. Um, So hopefully more of that in the future, and I hope to get to do more of these recaps uh, over the next uh, few months and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. All right, so what's our next discussion going to be? Well, we go in North American release order, and judging from the information I was able to find, the next one that comes up is My Pokemon Ranch. Um, and if you're looking at the slide on here, it says My Pokemon Ranch plus question mark. So as it turns out, My Pokemon Ranch, it was an umbrella-developed game. They're the one who made stuff like Hey You Pikachu, Pokemon Channel, Dash, uh, eventually would go on to make the Rumble series. Um, so this was, uh, My Pokemon Ranch was a kind of a utility program you could, uh, channel you could get on the Wii where you can store a large number of Pokemon. You would get certain bonuses, you get a new Pokemon each day and stuff like that. Um, as it turns out, it doesn't have a ton of music in it. There's only about half a dozen or so songs. So it seems fairly clear to us that although the music is worth talking about, it's not something that's going to fill up a whole episode discussion like we usually try and do. So we're sort of debating about what we want to do there, but look for that in the future. Um, until then, Anne, thank you very much for being on. Thank you. This has been Stephen Reich. All right, folks, thanks. Thanks for listening to the PokePress Digest podcast. We'd appreciate if you rate or review us on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at pokepress on Twitter. Okay, well, the music is one important aspect of the game, but there's still plenty of other stuff in there. Um, let's sort of talk about the uh, mechanics. Uh, technically speaking, I don't know that there's a ton that's changed since the prior Mystery Dungeon games. Now, this is a Gen 4 Mystery Dungeon game as opposed to a Gen 3 Mystery Dungeon game. So a lot of the um, a lot of the updates from Gen 4 are obviously new Pokemon. I believe they implemented the physical special split that's in there. Um, we don't have new types because that won't happen until uh, Generation 6 when we get Fairy. But, you know, we still have the gummy system for uh, increasing uh, various Pokemon's intelligence and making their AI a little bit smarter. The structure of the game is still pretty similar. I don't know, Anne, when you were watching playthroughs of this game, did it just look like more like a fresh coat of paint? Or, or what was your th- sort of thoughts there? Well, like, I can definitely see a lot of the criticism that, like, game critics gave it of, like, the gameplay is very much similar and, like, a lot of things I see are, like, recycled and repetitive, unoriginal, but, like, actually watching it, again, I was in love with these characters and the story, like, very quickly, and so I I can also see why the fans... The fan response is like, this is a classic, this is a work of art, like, you know, people love this game, and, like, I played the first Mystery Dungeon games, and I liked it a lot, but, like, 
you know, clearly it was never a priority for me to be like, okay, we got to make sure we play the next one. Now I'm like, why haven't I played um, Explorers of Sky or Time and Darkness? So I don't think it's like as simple as a fresh coat of paint. Like the gameplay, again, is very similar to the last game's. But there is something new and wonderful to discover here um, because I don't feel like we play Mystery Dungeon because we're so in love with, like, this amazing gameplay. We play it because there's an amazing story and amazing characters. Um, So, yeah, those are my thoughts there. Hmm. Yeah, I think some of the other aspects of it, I mean, Pokemon side games often seem to have... Like, you either get it or you don't um, with certain yeah. aspects of it. Like, we, going back to, like, you know, Generation 1, like, Pokemon Snap, like, that either sounds really cool, taking pictures of Pokemon and getting evaluated on them, or it sounds really pointless to a lot of so some other folks. You know, similar things with uh, Hey You Pikachu is sort of the epitome of that. It's something you either clicks with you or you don't. And I think I can see some similar stuff with the Mystery Dungeon series, even though mechanically they do share a lot with the, um, you know, mainline games. And, and not quite the same way that something like Legends Arceus does. You know, the most recent, it, it's, a, it's considered a mainline game, but it, it does sort of rework the gameplay a fair bit um, in in that one. Mm-hmm. Let's see. You, you had mentioned the story and characters, and I'll I'll definitely say this this game nails the characters within the world very, very well. Uh, some of them are, are repeats. A lot of the folks in, like, Treasure Town, I don't know if they're canonically the same people as there were in Red and Blue Rescue Team, but they definitely have similar personalities and similar roles in there, with with a few additions. Um, you got the Kecleon Shopkeepers and Kangaskhan Storage. Uh, they have a different person running the bank. And stuff like that. And then Wigglytuff, who was originally running the friend areas in Red and Blue Rescue Team, uh, is now the Guildmaster and has a, a very interesting personality as the de facto leader of uh, the organization in, in the game. What did you think of him? Oh, I loved it. It just, I don't know, it felt like I don't <laughs> kind of a person who, like, didn't apply for the job but like got promoted because they were they've been there all this time kind of a feel like it's like nobody would have like looked at this and be like yes we're gonna make this wiggly tough this personality the person in charge but it kind of feels like just by the virtue of being there for so long and kind of proving themselves they kind of made it despite all odds kind of a feel like i don't know there's something beautifully incongruent about having Wigglytuff as kind of the leader. Yeah, and the, and the guild has a number of other uh, important characters, like obviously uh, Chatot, who's sort of the second-in-command there, and then a bunch of other Pokemon that fulfill various roles within the, the guild. And then, you know, the going through the story, the, the basic gist of the story is that, yes, once again, you're a Pokemon that used to be a human that was sent to this world. In this case, you were sent back in time. And uh, apparently you had a Grovile, who we see uh, a few times early and then becomes a major part of the story. What did you think of that character? Ah, yeah. Like, I don't know. It's just like a really interesting kind of 
wrinkle as you're playing through. Like, you meet Grovile and, like, they're a thief. But then, like, you, then you kind of have, a, like, a booster gold situation where it's like, I'm actually from the future and I have this mission that nobody knows about. And then, like, like, ah, gosh, it just... I liked Grovile a lot. Like, not in the sense of, like, as a person, I want to hang out with them. But, like, just for what they brought to the story, because you have this, you just have this uh, journey going through trying to catch a thief, which is always, like, a good, like, heist-esque cops versus robbers kind of story. But, like, just keeping on interacting with them, even as, like, the greater story, like, they are the the tower of, the temporal tower is, like... Uh, falling apart and they need the time gears to save the world that Grovile's been stealing like and you kind of learn from Grovile how to save the game like I said it's just a like a lot of complicated characters a lot of complicated story and like working together and getting to interact with these people that are not two-dimensional yeah, yeah, it's interesting the way that a lot of the characters have sort of a, a, a what feels like a you know within the realm of a, a Pokemon game, you know more of a um, defining you know motivation and stuff like that. Uh, in in Grovel's case, it really wants to mean something to the world um, and do something to better the world, even if it won't. Um, because of the time travel stuff, it's implied that some of the characters will cease to exist once things are righted. Um, and even if that happens to it, it is okay with that, um, which is kind of neat. And there's all sorts of other, we mentioned Dustnor, who is one of the, one of the villain characters in this game. There's also, oddly enough, there's a couple of Pokemon. There's a coughing and I forget what the other one is, Zubat. And they're called Team Skull, uh, years before Sun and Moon. Um, there's also the pink or shiny Celebi shows up in this game as sort of Grovile's sort of like friend slash love interest, which is kind of interesting. And, mm-hmm. you know, that obviously, like, you can't really, there's not really a modern way to get a shiny Celebi. Um, so the fact that it shows up here is very interesting. And, you know, obviously it also, I don't know if it was intended as a direct reference, but it does show up in Secrets of the Jungle there as well so which is which is kind of interesting so yeah and then there's all those side chapters in explorers of sky which is um some some very nice content there and some really great stuff i especially like like i said the the fifth one the last one that takes place in the future uh where like i said some of the stuff you did in the main game starts to have an effect there without spoiling too much um also like i said the uh the one with uh Eagly Buff, Guildmaster Wigglytuff as a child, is um, another interesting one. They all have good points to all of them. Um, there's a couple that focus on the, the let's see, I think there are five. There are two more that focus on some of the guild members, Bidoof and Sunflora. And then there's one that focuses on Team Charm, a small group that shows up partway through the story in the main game, but in Explorers of Sky has their own chapter there. Team Charm is an awesome name. Like, I want to bring that back. Yeah, they, they a lot of these characters do wind up getting alluded to or have references to them or even show up in some of the other mystery, in one of the later Mystery Dungeon games that we'll talk about in the future. As far as, like, the game structure, we had mentioned the mechanics are a little bit different, but not as much as you might think, especially if you've played some of the newer games. 
if you're comparing this against uh, you know the original Red Blue Rescue Team, not the remake, and then going to this one, they're maybe not as different. Uh, you mentioned critics were a little bit down on that. They were especially down on Explorers of Sky for that reason. But uh, one thing I wanted to mention is at the end of the game, there's a couple different dungeons you go through, and it, it takes quite a while to get through all of that. Um, and you're kind of limited in your options and stuff, as opposed to like in the Red Blue Rescue Team, the last dungeon in the main story, Sky Tower, a little bit of a spoiler there, is just one dungeon that's 20-some-odd floors. This one has like twice that that you have to go through, and you can't, where you have to go through all of that in order, along with some story segments. So that might be a little overly long. I don't know if you watched that part of the playthrough, Anne. Um, it's not ringing any bells right now. I'm looking through my notes, but... Yeah, it's it, the part in this game that I'm referring to is like the hidden land, hidden high land, temporal tower, temporal oh, spire, yeah. and that's, that's all you have. There are sort of checkpoints there, but not exactly. It's hard to explain sort of exactly what's going on. <laughs> um, but it's a, a longer final path through the game. Um, the other dungeons seem to be fairly consistent in terms of their length compared to like the previous one but that one i think maybe wore on some folks especially depending on your team combination since you were a little bit limited in what you could take there all right well we had mentioned several times that the first pokemon mystery Dungeon games red and blue rescue team got a remake a couple years ago on the switch i guess we should say i personally as far as this set of games getting a remake i think probably a better idea to do something original with the mystery Pokemon Mystery Dungeon franchise and maybe come back to that later. And I'm not sure what your thoughts are having watched a playthrough of this game, whether you would want to see this there. Um, what are your kind of thoughts? I'm like, on the one hand, I want to see it ported to the Switch just because it would be easier for me to acquire and then play it. Um, but I do agree in the sense that, like, the Mystery Dungeon series is really good, and I love everything. Like, I love, even when I don't play it, I love the ideas that they come out with. So I would very much like to see them do something new as well and just bring bring more into this um, spinoff franchise and kind of take us on a new adventure. So I could go either way. I'd be very happy to see it remade for the Switch. I'd be very happy to see it left where it is, and something new take its place. It's an interesting choice that they kind of have to make there. Like I said, we don't really know what, if anything, they're going to do, um, especially since we've got some new mainline games coming out at the end of this year, Scarlet and Violet, which seem to be taking up a lot of the oxygen. <laughs> and some of the stuff they introduced last year, like Pokemon Unite, is still going very strong in there. So I'm not sure if there's a spot until maybe at least next year for the for another Mystery Dungeon game, but it'll be interesting to see. We had mentioned back in our Red Blue Rescue Team discussion the possibility of, you know, if you're going to adapt a side game into a movie like they did with Detective Pikachu, Mystery Dungeon sales-wise is still sort of the king of that, unless you're going to, like, do a documentary on Pokemon Go or something like that. I don't know, Anne, have your thoughts changed? I think... We had some thoughts back when we discussed Rim Lewis. I'm curious where you are right now on, on that idea. Nah, I still agree. Like, you could do a CGI animated of Pokemon Mystery Dungeon or a, like a live action blend. Like, the story is just like, it is its biggest selling point. Whenever anybody tells you about Mystery Dungeon or why you should play it, the story is what they bring up. And I think 
time darkness sky like just kind of keeps on going with that it just shows that this series has legs and a a movie franchise with it would be like there has the potential to be very powerful very um beloved and also to kind of if they wanted in the same way that detective pikachu kind of does like it doesn't just play to little kids. It also plays to slightly older kids and teenagers and even a lot of adults. Like, we really loved Detective Pikachu because it could have, um, again, some themes that didn't just apply to kids. And Mystery Dungeon series is another one. Like, Explorers of Sky, like, is another one that you could make it more palatable to a, a slightly different audience than maybe some of the other Pokemon uh, games, movies, anime series, whatever, cater to. Uh, I think there's so much potential. There's so many different ways to go with it. And, like, I, like, I'm surprised they haven't kind of capitalized on it yet. But since Detective Pikachu has done so well, I would be surprised if we didn't see some sort of something uh, movie-related created with uh, the Mystery Dungeon series as a base. Yeah, I do kind of wonder if they maybe considered it, but like thought that, well, if we have do a movie with one talking Pokemon, maybe that'll be easier to get see what the the appetite is for that before we do a movie where every Pokemon can talk. So <laughs> that's sort of a consideration there. As far as like the storyline, if I had to pick one particular entry in the Pokemon Mystery Dungeon subseries to adapt, it probably would be this one, just because of some of the opportunities and stuff like that. Um, obviously, you do kind of have to condense the the story down a fair bit into something that'll fit into an hour and a half to two hour movie. Um, they could also go the route where they take the basic framework of Pokemon Mystery Dungeon and bring in some of the the recurring characters and kind of go that way instead um, and sort of create an original story based on sort of the template there. But it's an interesting possibility, and we still don't know what the next Pokemon movie is. I had thought that maybe it was because it had some sort of tie-in to Scarlet and Violet, and they had to reveal some more information about the games before they could do anything with the movies. But, well, we're, we're just sort of hanging out there for now. <laughs> As often seems to be having happening with the, the movies of late. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll have to see what happens. Uh, this Andrico is in the uh, chat room and gave us a virtual hug. Uh, feel free to mention any specific tracks there. Let me... But um, 